Okay, we're live. Today, my good friend, Dave Raboy, on the Rockfin live stream. And we're talking about Texas, Florida, the future of American freedom. Where is the capital of our new regime going to be? Does there need to be a capital? Is there going to be one new regime? Is there going to be two? Is there going to be uh, 10? That remains to be seen. But, um, you know, I was this, this uh, conversation was really inspired by uh, Dave's Substack, Late Republic Nonsense. And he wrote a very compelling case for uh, just like that national divorce is absolutely necessary. The title is National Divorce is Expensive, but it's worth every penny. Dave got a lot of um, replies from the left who were very angry about it and the, uh, the so-called right, you know, I guess you can call them like the, uh, I don't even know what kind of faction you can call them. Well, I mean, I call them the establishment right, uh, mm -hmm. the establishment right commentariat. You know, a lot of people who get paid a lot of money to, uh, to be wrong. Um, and, 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 you know, who kind of make it their, their business to be ill-equipped to the moment at hand, uh, professionally. Um, so, you know, I mean, uh, a, a good example would be, uh, Rich Lowry, who is, um, you know, one of the editors, I think the, you know, uh, one of, one of the editors of National Review, um, who wrote a column kind of addressing my piece without addressing it. And I think honestly, without reading it. Yeah, most likely. <laughs> I mean, these these guys. I think they, you know, they won't ever admit to it, but they enjoy being in the um, in the so-called opposition. I guess you can effectively call them controlled opposition because they're much more comfortable in a place where they can mildly critique the regime as opposed to actually doing anything to, you know, really separate themselves and make, uh, you know, anything better for those of us who oppose the regime. You know, as watching your. Um, you were on the on the blaze recently with and uh, you did a couple segments, I think, with with Michael Malice, who's also a national divorce guy who comes at it from a different angle than you do, because you're more of a, um, you know, you're more of a conservative, ideologically speaking. And Malice is definitely more of a hardcore anarchist. And um, it's interesting that, you know, there is kind of a coalition building around the idea. Um, and it's not just, you know, there's also kind of like the you know the intellectual movement that you've helped build through the claremont institution you, know, you have commentators like our buddy jesse kelly talking a lot about national divorce and the necessity for it so there's a lot of different avenues on the right of the political spectrum calling for national divorce so i thought you know what is going to be the future of our i mean hopefully this this day will come soon when we have a peaceful kind of like separation and the right will be able to kind of maintain more of its autonomy through the form of national divorce, its own regime. And it got me thinking about like, okay, so what is the optimal place if it were to be, you know, if we had national divorce right now, we had sovereignty um, and, and, you know, the, the two main candidates, very clear front runners, I think you could call them one and one A are, are Florida and, and Texas. There doesn't seem to be another place um, you know, there are states where there's a lot of freedom, but there's like, you know, in South Dakota, you have what, like a million people living there. So it's not really like a real competitor in this space. So, right, right. So, so going, so we're not going to talk about national divorce itself or, or, um, or kind of red autonomy. We're going to jump right in and say, okay, yeah. um, sort of, uh, stipulating all of that, 
Yeah, except then, where the then, where then do we make our capital? Mm-hmm. Is that the that's the that's the, the scheme? Okay. Yes, like yeah. a, a conversation for proponents of national divorce or enhanced sovereignty among you know the, the people who still believe in in freedom and not being tortured by the left. Right, or or as some friends of mine call it, um, extreme federalism. Yeah. Um, but um, okay. So there are a couple issues here um, that, that um, you know, when I think about these things and when some friends think about these things, here, here are what we, what we, we think of. So um, I do think that there needs to be many different capitals. You know, there's a difference between, between a political capital, um, like, for example, in the United States, it was Washington. Um, uh, you know, which was a city kind of built from scratch to be just that um, because, you know, most states didn't want to be under the thumb of the largest city, which was New York. Um, And, uh, you know, so it was kind of more geographically, uh, you know, more geographically split throughout throughout the different population centers in the different states. you know, so you've got you've got the political capital, and then you've also got different kind of industry town capitals that are you know I mean just like you have in just like you have in any country, um, you know there needs to be a financial capital, there needs to be a manufacturing capital, there needs to be you know on and on and on and a place for I mean if you're really truly going to have um, a, a successful multifaceted society or country, you're going to want to draw on different types of people. You're going to need people who like to live in the country. You're going to need people who like to live in the city. You're going to need folks who, um, you know, like to live in Miami um, and folks who like to live in the Everglades, you know, just if we're talking about Florida. Um, And, uh, you know, so for that reason, I think, you know, I'm in the let as many flowers bloom uh, category as possible, you know, because, the, the existence of different cities uh, with different, you know, with strong different characteristics, um, you, you know, have the ability to draw different types of talent, different types of people into, uh, you know, into, into their orbits. So, yeah. you know, the, the fact that there is a difference between Dallas and Miami or between Houston and Orlando uh, is, um, you know, is, is significant. I saw just yesterday that, uh, or was it someone wants to, um, I think you sent me this story, they, they, they want to make uh, St. Petersburg, which is on the west coast of Florida, just kind of adjacent to Tampa, um, into the new Austin. And, uh, you know, I mean, that may make sense, you know, to the extent that I think anything kind of any project like that makes sense, you know, you want to build um, a new city, you know, you, you want to give a different character to a city, uh, sort of from scratch based on another city. Like, I, you know, we're going to make, you know, we're going to make uh, Williamsburg in, uh, you know, in downtown Miami. You know, you can sort of do that with, a, you know, maybe with a neighborhood with a lot of effort um, and a bunch of hipsters. But, um, you know, but but to, uh, you know, to, to kind of recreate, you know, whatever magic is in Austin in another city, it's, it's going to be more difficult. But, I mean, I applaud the... Um, uh, I applaud the effort. I applaud the desire to uh, to to do so. Yeah, uh, it's interesting because, like, 
you know, you, you kind of, um, it, it's great to see like this infusion of capital if it was only just money, right? Like with the money comes all these political ideologies attached to it. You know, they, we were talking, you were talking about, um, the, the St. Petersburg, uh, which is right next to Tampa, Kathy Wood or Ark Invest, you know, is moving her whole establishment down there. It's probably, uh, hundreds of billions of dollars in assets under management, mm -hmm. something like that. And then you have Goldman Sachs, you know, building a giant office tower in Palm Beach County. You have all these tech guys coming to Miami. Um, I want to be far, far away from that. <laughs> so that's the thing is like, so how do you protect your new institution? Because it's going to, you know, it, it, Florida and Texas are appealing to all of these blue staters. So what do you do to protect your, you know, your, your society from these like foreign ideologies that could potentially threaten you know, the, the stability of our new republics. This is a really, really important point. And I think it's something that in general, the right has no understanding of appreciation for. I mean, it's just not on the radar at all, which is at, at the end of the day, this kind of gets into the category of, um, you know, of urban planning, which is something that the right just hasn't, you know, given a crap about uh, from the very beginning. Um, the, uh, the right has been, at least for the last 50 years, you know, let's, let's say the fusionist right represented by National Review, um, you know, and, and, and certainly other, uh, you know, other kind of party organs have been you know, primarily libertarian on these matters. And, you know, would they allow, I mean, look, it best exemplified by, you know, the city of Miami with, uh, with, with Mayor Suarez, you know, as much money as you want to bring into the place, just bring it, just bring it, just bring it because we're addicted to money and nothing bad could ever happen. The city cannot, you know, there's no way the city can change. And I mean, I'm here to tell you just from my, my life experience, I lived in New York city. I lived in San Francisco, um, the, you know, many other cities, but those cities in particular went through um, what, you know, went through a kind of gentrification process that, for my money, destroyed all the, the, the individual character of both cities and left them a hollow shell of what they once were. Um, you know, the, the, the prices ended up skyrocketing. These prices ended up uh, pushing out not only the, the, the small businesses that make the city unique and interesting uh, in favor, of, uh, in favor of, of, of chains, mostly, uh, but it ends up driving out the middle class. And every city needs to have a thriving middle class. Now, in, in cities, that, that middle class looks different than it would in, uh, you know, in the Rust Belt, or someplace like that, you know, in the, in the, in the, um, in the, a lot of the cities, the middle class is, is more of like a creative class. And when those people are pushed out, you know, these are the people that made the city worth inhabiting in the first place. Um, and, and when these people leave, it really becomes literally a playground for the rich. And, um, and the city ends up losing its character Every city now has the same stores, the same restaurants. They, it, you know, it looks like Epcot. The only difference between, you know, New York City and San Francisco, is, um, you know, is is, you know, is, 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 is a couple of buildings and you know, and the, and the natural habitat. 
uh, but pretty much you can get the same stuff in in uh, in both places, the same type of restaurant. You know, and this isn't limited to the United States, but it it it, it kind of traverses the world where you have a small nomadic um, you know elite class that that uh, that basically feels comfortable in all of these you know different uh, uh, different places where rich people hang out and for that reason all of these places are basically the same all throughout the world because it's the same people patronizing all these places so there needs to be a point at which a city is you know, at which like the, the development of a city is sort of arrested, you know, between, um, you know, between the, uh, the you know, be, be, between a free for all of, of, you know, crime and, and dirt and grime and all that on one hand, and on the other hand, between uh, Bloombergian, um, you know, chain stores and super high rents and that, that type of decadence. You know, I was lucky enough to live in New York City during the Giuliani years, where it was kind of the exact perfect spot, where you know you still had the uh, the advantages of gentrification in terms of of reduction of crime, but the city was basically the same. Um, one of the saddest stories, one of the saddest blogs. I can't find it. I wish I could, but I found it years ago, and all it was was a, a log of the stores and restaurants. That had existed in New York that were that closed that year, um, with the number of years that they had been in business. And reading this list, especially from the years you know from like the early Bloomberg era, you really get the 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 you know a horrifying picture of what it's like when like you're losing the city's history. It's like you know this place was around for 150 years. This place was around for 95 years. This you know 125 you know, 75, et cetera. All of these places are now gone. That's, that's a city that, that no longer exists um, in, in, in the same way that it once did. Anyone who thinks it does is, is just, you know, dealing with, with the most, you know, the most uh, surface of superficialities. Um, that is, at the end of the day, what makes a city. And, um, and uh, you know, as 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 conservatives, we need to, or, or people on the right, let's say, we need to be really very, very mindful of that dynamic, and 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 to always keep in mind. I mean, this is one of the great things about the kind of nationalist moment that we were in and that we've been in, um, you know, really since Trump is. It brings us back to number one, meaning it brings us back to the the, the most important thing, the most important guiding principle that. Um, that uh, you know that really that we should have that we should always be mindful of, which is what is the thing that makes life better and 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 worth living for the the citizen. Full stop. We're not here. We're not addicted to abstractions, you know, of uh, you know, like let's say free trade abstractions or anything like that, um, or 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 um, you know, ideological formulas. We want to make things better for the people who actually live here. And uh, that's something that uh, that needs to change with uh, with folks on the right. They need to start studying urbanization. They need to start studying gentrification and um, and, and coming up with alternate alternate plans, because I don't think the solutions to this necessarily are the solutions that a lot of leftists will have. You know, the leftists identify some many of the problems very well, but their solutions are, you know, I think, 
you know, often ridiculous and inappropriate. Um, but leaving things up to, you know, leaving a city up to the free market and just say, hey, you know, do your worst um, is a recipe for disaster. And, you know, frankly, it, it's happening right now to Miami, which is a city that I really love and that, uh, you know, I kind of can't wait to leave at this point because I, I see these forces creeping up on the city. And, uh, and at the end of the day, it's all about the rents. It's all about the rents. It's all about housing prices. Yeah, I mean, I think for for one, it would be nice if they were to protect the free market. But what happens is that, you know, slowly after this money comes in, the leftists take over and then they start, as you were talking about, you know, they kick out all the middle income people. And essentially it's the super rich and the super impoverished. Um, and like San Francisco is the perfect uh, description of what happens with, um, you know, when the left takes over. But so how do you um how do you prevent these people from imposing their politics like in a, in a, in a new area that's why like that like that's what i struggle with like do you create some kind of like committee and make sure that you have your right appointments on the committee because like uh not a lot of people know about the situation uh well about like the internals of the situation in miami but the governor not the governor the the mayor of miami is like very soft he just is encouraging investment he's part of this uh legacy group that has controlled Miami for a very long time. I think his father was also the mayor, right? So he's just like kind of living off that legacy. He's uh, making a name for himself by encouraging a lot of investment. But in terms of being like, a, you know, a guy who's going to you know pr protect the institutions in his city, he doesn't really talk about that so much. So like that's just kind of a giant red flag. And the fact that, you know, he's like kind of like um, you know, I'm a big proponent of Bitcoin, but then he's like kind of like wrapping people into this like Miami shitcoin thing that he's doing to raise money for the uh, for the city and for the city like officials and stuff like that. So he's like a really sketchy guy. And I, I, I wondered I was wondering, like, so what's the situation? Because like you spent some time in Texas. Austin seems like the next city that's either going to make it or it's just like going to go to complete hell. What, what do you see going on? Um, what do you think is going on out there? Because, I, like, you know, you have guys like Joe Rogan moved to Austin, Elon Musk, you know, moving his Tesla plant, I think, outside of Austin. So, like, there's a lot of, like, positive indications, but there's also, like, that creeping, um, you know, the, the left. I mean, those guys aren't from the left, but, like, there's a lot of people from the left that are starting to move in. And then, you know, you have, like, those Antifa groups. And it seems like Austin is further along, further threatened than Miami is right now. Oh, yeah. No, no, Austin's gone. Austin's gone. Austin's completely gone. Um, even when I lived there, I lived there in 2014, 2015. Um, and, uh, and Austin was ridiculous. I mean, the city government was ridiculous. You know, everywhere surrounding the, the immediate area of, of, uh, of, of Austin is, uh, is, is not just left, but insane left. And um, I mean, still, okay, it's not... I mean, I'm used to San Francisco and Berkeley. So when I showed up there, it almost felt like Oklahoma to me. Um, but it's still, you know, it's, it's, it's still, you know, the way things are going, it's, 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 it's still very, very left. And, um, and it's been creeping out and out and out into Williamson County. I mean, Williamson County is a good bellwether because it was traditionally known as like the hardcore right wing area around Hill Country, around, around uh, Austin. You know, it was the place where, you know, if you were 
drunk driving, you did not want to get pulled over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or if you didn't have an ID, et cetera, like, you know, like that, like that's the one place you didn't want to mess with the law. And Williamson County now is, um, you know, I think I'm not sure if it went for Trump. I don't think so. This time, I think it's been going blue, 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 because it's kind of the northeast side of Austin as things are are, are kind of creeping out. Um, I think for as, as many folks as the people going to Austin are, are blue state people. And it has been that way for a long time. You know, my, my friend and old boss and from Texas, Chuck DeVore, likes to say that, uh, that a lot of the folks who uh, kind of do the internal migration into Texas are actually um, Republican conservative voters. And, you know, and they voted for Ted Cruz, for example, in, in big numbers the last time. And that may be true. But the folks who are showing up and who wouldn't live in any other city in Texas but in Austin, yeah, they're voting blue. And exactly what you said, when when um, when some of these big companies come in, they will, you know, they um, you know when when Apple decides to build a uh, you know an operation or who was it? it was or Dell or whatever. I mean, every place now has an Austin. Every every Silicon Valley. Um, uh, uh, operate big operation has has an Austin office. They so bring with like, them a thousand blue. They bring with them a thousand plus uh, a blue yeah. voters. So it's at this point it's so solid blue that I mean I wouldn't I I I wouldn't move there. I wouldn't I wouldn't move there looking for um, you know looking for red America. So in this future um, you know series for republic or series of republics. Uh, what do you think about the role of you know, the, the governors? Because like we kind of saw during this COVID mania time, you have DeSantis very active in, I think, um, protecting the civil rights of his citizens. Abbott has kind of taken like a, I'm going to see where the political winds are shifting type approach. And he's been pretty weak on this until, you know, the polling changes. And then he's, he's the here, the anti-mask hero. Um, DeSantis has taken a very active role. Do you think DeSantis is kind of like the model governor for like the, you know, a, a state in a, in a Republic where you have like a coalition of, of states or, or, you know, an old, a state being its own nation. Do you think you can replicate that, um, you know, in a post national divorce timeline? Um, I mean, it's, it's what would need to happen in a, any post national divorce timeline. Um, would be a robust, strong governor like DeSantis, um, who is unafraid. I mean, it's interesting if you think about it, the difference between Abbott and DeSantis, right? And and specifically between Florida and Texas. Florida is, is known, you know, at least throughout America as more of a traditional swing state, and yet it has the based governor. Right. Um, Texas is known as a right-wing state, and it's got, you know, the cucked governor, or and let's say only- the half-cucked governor. Yeah, and not only based yeah. governor, but based staff. DeSantis is based staff. De, De Abbott is the opposite, like establishment Republican, part of the good old boys club, shitty staff for the most part. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting, sort of figuring out those two. You know, the why the, why those 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 two things happen, and I think there are kind of a couple different reasons for that that have to do with. Um, 
you know, that have to do with the history of both Texas and Florida. Um, let's say the let's say the the, the recent last couple of decades uh, political history. Um, the you know the strength of the Bush uh, Rove dynasty in Texas, the kind of very libertarian minded um, uh, thinking that's that's been out there. Look, the, the fact that it's a freaking border state and it has been really absolute rubbish on border issues for years, you know? And what I mean by rubbish is like it, it, like it should be strong, but it has not made up its mind because so many of the donors and so many of, uh, of the very wealthy folks in Texas um, make a living one way or the other through, um, you know, through, uh, through immigration. And now, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it, or, or let's say illegal immigration. And now it's at the point, of course, where you have the the, the most southern uh, closest to the border states are, are, are turning red, you know, one after the other because they want to stop the, the, the flood. Um, it, it and, drives me nuts as, as a, yeah. uh, you know, as a Floridian now when, when the Texans, you know, with the cowboy hats say, oh, you know, we're such a conservative state. And then you look at the, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. But this is a state, you know, where you had governors, Rick Perry, George W. Bush, now Greg Abbott. Like, these guys all are just, like, so far to the left or, or however you want to decide on the political framework to what their constituents should be that, like, you know, it, it's it's becoming, like, pathetic at this point. And I hope that something changes in Texas. But, like, they're being played for fools. It's almost like, you know, in South Carolina, like, how do they keep electing Lindsey Graham? Like, you lose your based right wing card when you keep electing these fools, you know, at least we have our senators aren't perfect, but I, I think we're at least in, in Florida, there's a lot of reasons to believe that, you know, the DeSantis dynasty is going to continue for some time. Yes. No, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. It's, it's, it's funny how it goes. Look, I mean, one of the things that, that happens is, you know, I think of the, uh, the Minnesota GOP, you know, the, 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 the battered and beaten and pathetic Minnesota GOP, you know, traditionally, which like they know they're not going to win. So what ends up happening is it ends up becoming like a kind of festival, an orgy of graft and corruption because they know they're not going to win and there are no stakes. You know, there are just no stakes. On the other hand, you've got, you know, the Texas GOP where they know they're going to win. And then, you know, like you can afford to kick back, you know, you can afford to kick back. You don't need to have, um, you know, uh, 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 you know, good times create soft men. Um, you don't need to have, um, uh, you know, hardcore folks in there when, when, you know, you think of yourself as uh, the, the most, uh, you know, the, the most right wing um, state, you know, uh, the, the other thing that's interesting about Texas is where, where Texas has an edge though, is it has an edge because it really is the only state with a defined, very, very strong identity. Um, while I was in Texas, I was speaking to someone who was, um, someone who I'd met who was in, um, I think you know, the, the marketing uh, business. And, uh, and, and she mentioned that the Texas brand is stronger than like Coca-Cola. That, that's such an important, that's such a fascinating point now that I think of it. It's like almost like, you know, how that, how the Afghan will identify as Pashtun before Afghan and a Texan. I think if you were to ask 
even a foreigner were to ask someone from Texas where they're from, they would say Texas first. So that there is definitely a culture in Texas that can, I think, you know, that can thrive. And, you know, you already have like the whole Republic of Texas mantra. And we're trying to build that in Florida, but we're definitely not there yet. Because well, they- Florida man, Florida man has a lot of growing up to do in order to, uh, you know, in order to, to challenge, um, you know, the, the history of kind of Texas's uh, uh, kind of unique place here. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, any other state, it's not even a question. Like, you, you know, you're in New Jersey. We both grew up in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, someone asks you, where are you? You say, you know, whatever. I'm in whatever. I'm in. I'm. I'm in the United States. I'm an American. I'm a blah blah blah. It wouldn't occur to me to say I'm a New Jerseyan. Yeah. Um, New York City metro. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. You know, I mean, New Yorker is something that rivals. Uh, right. You know that 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 maybe is just as strong as the Texas identity, but you know, I mean, what does New Yorker mean anymore? Um, AOC, you know, it's yeah, like a very yeah, yeah. It could, right. It could mean, it could mean anything. Yeah. And um, I mean, the other thing that I mean, speaking of uh, actually in, in both cases, what you have is um, I was recently in Dallas and I was talking to folks and I think, um, and I had a, 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 um, a meetup, uh, like a, a Twitter meetup. And, you know, there were a bunch of folks there and uh, it was like, you know, 50, 50 new Texans and, and old Texans. And even from, I think maybe there was one person or two people there who actually had strong Texas accents. And a few folks who had lived there all their lives, they didn't have it kind of the old Texas accent. And that's something that you notice. And I was surprised about it. And that was something that I noticed in New York too, that there's no more New York accent. You know, that accent to the extent that it exists, it exists in like, Deep, deep, deep Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Right. You know, and, and the Bronx, like like deep outer boroughs. But, um, you know, I mean, you grew up in Park Slope. You don't have a New York accent. Yeah, that is, that is interesting. I think it was, um, I get, you know, the boomers certainly retained the accent. Um, but I think after that, you know, it started to slip away a little bit. And now you you talk to, you know, these people and you don't really identify anything yeah but, and then long island they still have you know their their ridiculously awful accents from time to time but it's um you know the the uh the, the texas thing is kind of like fascinating to me because like um you know one of the positive sides of the texas dynamic as well is that they're um you know they're they're focused on like they have all this energy these energy resources um uh, i don't think that florida has that same capacity for independence not only does Texas have energy resources, I mean, you're not a, you're not really like a Bitcoin guy, but you know, they're, they're encouraging, um, they're, they're heavily encouraging uh, investment into Bitcoin mining and um, you know, all these Bitcoin companies are moving there, but you know, you have all like the oil and gas in the world and, and all these like major international companies based in Texas. And I think, you know, in, in that, on that side of things, like a, a future Texas Republic could essentially be a superpower overnight um as an independent nation i think florida you would have to like uh you know i'm not it's not clear what the energy situation is i guess i guess the one good thing is that you know florida is is surrounded by water on three sides so uh you have that kind of like you know you could create it like major port and uh you know 
great place to attract uh, trade and all kinds of revenue. But Texas seems like positioned from the jump to be like, uh, it's hard to compare it to a European country because I think it could be more powerful than any other European country if they get their shit together. Right. No, no, no. And that's true. I mean, the other thing that I always think about Texas with is um, unlike most other states, Texas has a whole chain of kind of proprietary Texas businesses mm-hmm. that are set up to serve the Texas market and are fine with it. I mean, the big one, of course, you know, HEB slash uh, uh, Central Market, um, which is an amazing, um, uh, amazing, um, you know, supermarket, uh, or cha- you know, big chain of supermarkets. And um, they exist only in Texas. Maybe, maybe like one or two in Oklahoma or something, you know, like the places that may as well be Texas. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it's the kind of thing that kind of that gives me hope that larger businesses recognize that there is enough demand, that there are enough customers in red states um, upon which they can, uh, you know, build a business and make a living. You know, they don't need to, it doesn't need to be, um, you know, it, it, you know, a company doesn't need to be ubiquitous and, and Nike in order to sell shoes. Um, you know, I mean, the, the thing that I always say is, you know, when people talk about, um, about like red state autonomy and, and, and kind of business potential there, it's like, well, you know, how many people voted for Trump this last time? About the same amount of people that live in France. And in France, you have they have their own kind of you know their own industry of everything you know their own insurance companies, their own supermarkets, their own banks, their own this and their own that. Like there are more than enough people. There are more than enough people to um, uh, to to make you know to make it worth it customer wise for for businesses to to exclusively target. Um, folks in in red states, you know, or or you know, or frankly, even just folks in Florida and in Texas because they're big enough. Yeah, it's just it seems like so. What you know, we kind of talk about this offline a little bit, but like, so you have companies like Amazon, you have Google, like all these super powerful companies that already have all these users. How do you get that that engine started and like motivate people? Uh, you know, people have tried to create their own platforms, largely, I think, unsuccessfully to this point um, when they're competing with these, you know, these social media titans. Uh, how do you like inspire success in this field? Like what is do you think that the because like do you think that political do you think you need to create an environment for it? And that's why like people keep failing as they and they try to just be copycats. Like what's what kind of ideas do you have behind like inspiring Mm-hmm. Uh, this creativity and successful uh, there are successful companies that are you know conservative in orientation but especially on this tech side it seems like we just keep getting crushed yeah look I mean it's a serious issue um, I wrote the piece you know I thought it wasn't all that esoteric of a point but it ends up being because nobody reads the, the damn thing um, you know they, they read the tweet and maybe the first couple of paragraphs and then they're done but um the, the point of my national divorce piece, and to the extent that I talk about it at all, um, is meant as a rhetorical device to spur the thinking about red state autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because I think that if we're too complacent, if we say stupid things like, oh, America will just be around forever, and man, let's not even think about national divorce and whatever, you know, the, the way things are going or, you know, that's, it's just fine and there's no problem and, and you know, it's, this whole thing isn't going to go tits up at some point. Um, all these things are mechanisms that, that prevent us from doing the thing that we need to do, which is, which is, which is to build. And we, um, and thinking through the national divorce concept and, you know, frankly, the concept that I think this, it's pretty clear that this country will collapse with certainty at one point or another, you know, just sort of pushing it through and getting that, that idea through people's thick skulls, or let's say the thick skulls of the people in the Republican establishment and commentariat. Um, just the process of doing that, I hope, will spur people to say, okay, now we have to get serious. Now things are serious. What do I need to build? You know, what should I have already built, um, you know, the day after the whole thing goes tits up? Yeah. You know, and after America's done, what are the things that I'm going to need to have? I think the, the people with who have established, who have accumulated a lot of wealth, who holds, you know, ideologies that are similar to ours really need to take this red pill. And, and I hope that, you know, the last two years, they've kind of like come to realize that time is, is uh, of the essence much more so than they thought it would be. And I think that like you, you make the perfect point there. It's basically like we need to just try to red pill as many as people as possible to the reality that they're facing in the future that, you know, the, there is certainly a political rupture. The, the political system is collapsing. Um, people certainly see it in the economy now, right? Like there's skyrocketing inflation. The, uh, the Fed has kept interest rates at zero, just pumping up the stock market forever. And, you know, they like just printing, right. the government's printing trillions of dollars. So people see it on the economic side. But for whatever reason, on the political side, they think, you know, oh, it's, you know, this this great country founded uh, and people I, I think people on the right, I think I forgot how you exactly categorize them. But the ones who kind of like, you know, cry during uh, patriotic movies. <laughs> and Oh, yeah, know, yeah. The, the, the boomer fact, patriots. Yeah. Don't want to accept the <laughs> Don't want to accept the fact that, you know, we're not living in that same America anymore of the, uh, you know, the war heroes of World War Two storm the beaches. And and you have to kind of think. You know that this this concept of United Nation, you you can be patriotic about the, a, a new a concept of a different type of nation that that has those same type of values. I think so many people are caught up in this like Hollywood type aspect of what it means to be American, and that includes for too many people. I think uh, sacrificing their entire livelihood for you know this nation that needs to stay together. Right. I mean, it kind of loops back to the beginning of our conversation, because at the end of the day, what is this polity, whether it's a city or it's a country? It's the people. You change the people, you change everything. You know, like if you're like, OK, I have this great idea, you know, to open a, um, you know, to, to sell a product in um, in New York called the Cronut half croissant, half donut. 
I know it's going to be a big smash in New York. And it was. Okay. Will it be, what would it have been a big smash in New York in 1940? I don't know, but it was a completely different city in, in 1940. Mm-hmm. Um, take, is, is it possible that it would? Yes, of course, but taking for granted that it would, taking for granted that America of today would face, would, would, um, uh, you know, would face a challenge like World War II or 9-11 even, in the same way that, you know, the old New York and the old America did um, in, in those days. Um, I think it's folly. Um, things change, and, um, you know, entropy is real. It is a thing. Um, gradually, you know, I mean, look, at the, at the end of the day, this, this is, this is um, both the cycle of regimes on one hand, and on the other hand is, is you, have, you have the problem with our country as founded, you know, you have a, the problem with our, our, or let's say the country as it has been understood for many years, which is as, you know, what's called a propositional nation, um, which is basically, you know, just an ideological commitment to the American founding, to the ideas of the declaration, etc. And look, I believe in those things. I think those things are great. They're wonderful. But what happens when a majority or a substantial minority no longer believes in those things? There's no law of the universe that says that, um, you know, that says that people will believe their, their founding documents forever in perpetuity, you know? Um, yeah, and I think your buddy uh, Malice alluded to that the other day, that basically, you know, the Constitution is, as, is great if, if, you know, the majority of people are willing to follow the Constitution. Right. Until then, um, it, you know, it's just really... I hate to sound like a lib, but it's almost just like a piece of paper at this point, right? That it's just like it, people allude to it when they need to. Uh, well, Democrats will allude to it if they need, and even some Republicans if they want to get a bill passed in Congress. But it doesn't seem that we're even um, at this time it, any semblance of a constitutional republic. We're just in this like weird uh, stage of authoritarianism where the ruling class in Washington D.C. does whatever it wants and just like plays pretend. And, you know, you turn on the TV and then there's the kangaroo court and it's just like it's a total clown show. I think that like one of the hurdles to people accepting the idea of, um, you know, a a separated series of republics is they fall back on this. You know, you're talking about the 1776, 1782 constitutional stuff. But I don't think that, you know, I think it's been quite some time since our country has um, uh, abided by the Constitution. You could even go back to the, you know, the War Powers Act of the 70s. Uh, <laughs> and and you know, it's been 50 years since then. So we're, we're so far off from being a constitutional republic. And I think that, you know, the COVID stuff really exposed that, like the idea that, you know, you had some type of protections in place in this nation that would prevent you from being um, totally consumed by the craziness of the government. That doesn't appear to be the case at all. So um that's why like i i you know i even hesitate today to be to identify myself as a conservative because like the first question is like okay so what are you conserving like there's nothing uh, I, I you probably agree with me that there's it doesn't seem like there's anything left to conserve in these 50 united states that we have um together as a as a nation and and i hope more people uh, awaken to this reality 
Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I'm kind of lurching around. I think many of us are trying to figure out what is the word that we use in lieu of conservative. Um, and I think it's especially kind of uh, poignant for folks like us who grew up as conservatives and um, and grew up, you know, frankly, in a different America um, where a lot of these trend lines were apparent. But, you know, I mean, I didn't know that we would get this far. Years ago, I didn't know that we would get this far, you know. But then again, I mean, I concluded, I came to my national divorce um, concept in 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 you know November of 2012. Yeah, you were really after after um, after uh, um, Obama was reelected. I said, okay, it's a different country, mm-hmm. and um, and that has kind of informed my position. And there's absolutely nothing that has gone on since then that has that has even you know remotely changed my mind about it. Yeah, it's um, you know it's fascinating to look back, and I, I think once you've kind of like been red pilled on this issue it's impossible to reverse course like it's just so clear and obvious when you see especially like you know both of us have spent time in washington dc especially when you see what's going on there and who the lawmakers really answer to that they spend all their days with the lobbyists and that they have real really no time for their constituents essentially and if you don't have uh if you aren't, you know, pfizer or boeing or or mcdonald's or whatever you know they don't even want to hear from you it's just the Republic, it, it's like it, President Trump had that famous phrase when he was trying to convince black voters to vote for him. He said, like, what do you have to lose at this point? Right. The Democrats have sucked. And that's that would I, I don't like that's kind of like my appeal to people that are on the fence. Like you want to you want to continue with whatever's going on now. I mean, it, it's nice to be in Florida, um, but there, but there's a a lot of people that aren't in the position that we are in that are, you know, suffering from these ridiculous, especially the people that are suffering from these mandates, like, our, you know, our friend, uh, Carol Markowitz, who's like, you know, trying to figure out whether she wants to move to, uh, to Florida permanently. And, you know, every season having to worry about your kids, uh, are they going to be allowed to go to your, to, to school this, this, uh, winter, you know, who knows? So there's just so many, I think, obvious signs. And, um, but I, I think, you know, if you want to talk about how the national divorce movement has grown, I think in, in 2012, you were the only guy talking about it <laughs> as far as. Well, you know, I wasn't talking about it in 2012. I actually, I mean, this is why like, you know, malice beat me to it um, in, in 2016, but already in 2015 and, you know, and, and, and 2016, 2014, I was going around Texas. I had just moved to Texas and that was the idea, you know, um, the idea was to like, hey, you know, get get involved with like, you know, tex- a Texas secession movement or something and, you know, find a donor, um, you know, you're on a watch list somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I must be. On, I mean, you know, clearly for many reasons. And uh, <laughs> you're on I mean, all that, the watch. That, list. <laughs> that was the that was the idea. And, and you know, I mean, how many people told me I was crazy back then? A lot of people mm-hmm. um, in, in 20 in 2006, in 2016, though when you had the Trump election, that's when things start to shake up. And that's when you started to get the first feeling that things are not okay in, um, in, uh, in, in kind of, let's say more normieville, you know, and, and, and all these people, I think stupidly thought that it was Trump's fault. The Trump brought this, 
Right. You know, um, they were propagandized. Calamity. Like the media and the, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were they they did not want to see what was in front of them, and they didn't understand the key thing, which was that Trump is a lagging indicator, and he always was. Yeah, I, I think that like definitely. Um, I, I was part of that normie right wing class until I think the turning point for me was when I came to the conclusion that the FBI tried to overturn the election. Then I was like, holy shit, we don't have a country. <laughs> we don't have a country. Anymore. <laughs> right. Like if the FBI can do that and the media and the, you know, the media parties cheering them on and all the bureaucrats are, are out to, you know, kill this guy off, then you don't have a country anymore. And that's the thing. Like, you know, when, um, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm becoming like so pessimistic about voting in national elections. You know, if, if I have a busy day during the 2022 presidential election, probably just going to bypass it. You know, it's like it, it, what if, if let's say um, Donald Trump runs again. I, I, have, I have a hard time thinking, you know, that that the system is going to fix itself from within. So, you know, although, you know, our ideas might sound radical to some people, the idea that you're going to like vote your way out of this problem in by electing you know new politicians in washington dc with these stupid videos that they're these these a hundred million dollar high production value videos it's like the walking videos yeah (laughs) where they're walking they're walking through you know bombed out building or bombed out neighborhood or they're walking through a through a um you know a a, a, like a you know a rodeo or something it's gonna save washington (laughs) it's like it's, it's just a giant ridiculous scam and i think it it's it's so it's so tough for people outside of Washington because you've just been fed all this ridiculous nonsense for your entire life, and and once you're in there, it, it's more lucrative to stay in the system and pretend mm-hmm. like everything's great and that like it's a representative government. But there's just so many reinforcing elements. But I think at least on the optimistic side, the government so overplayed their hand during the last two years with all this insanity that I think like there's going to be some type of counter revolution. So how do you like forecast the next few years? Like, what do you see happening if you're, um, it, you know, if I, if ideally you, you know, you get the ball rolling on, on your agenda. Oh man. I mean, that's a, that's, that's a tough one. I think we're in the phase where, um, where it's just hard to predict. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, very hard to predict. Um, I mean, the key point for me, I think, is is I wish there was more time. We're in a kind of purple period right now, I think, um, which is that um, which is that more and more people are waking up to realize that we need to build things, and they are going about building things slowly. Um, you know, the noose hasn't tightened yet. Usually what happens is the noose tightens and then people understand the urgency of the moment. Um, but we're in a time where, like, I just wish, my, my biggest fear is that the whole thing comes crashing down before we're ready. And before we, before we have kind of achieved some measure of autonomy. And now I know that um, we won't achieve, let's say, you know, full political autonomy um, until the whole thing goes belly up. Um, but we don't even need that. We just need to be able to live, um, uh, you know, we, we need to live no longer under the thumb of, let's say, you know, blue industries, blue, uh, you know, bl- the power of blue America, uh, you know, finance, culture, education, 
government um, and, uh, and, and economy um, and are probably 16 other things that, that I haven't even thought of. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and, and sort of not be, be, be threatened by them. You know, I mean, the, the, the parlor situation was, was like a kind of classic, uh, you know, classic microcosm. Um, you know, you, you had a company that was doing something that was not illegal and then up pops a, um, you know, what I would call an ideological cartel that is politically motivated to make business decisions based on ideology. And they shut it the heck down. Right. Um, they shut it down. They shut down what, like, let's say the, the information supply chain that makes possible um, the existence of that company. And they can do this with almost every business if they really wanted to. I mean, look, Jeff Bezos is more powerful than than you know any politician in the United States. Um, if he if he wakes up tomorrow and says, you know what, I want to fuck Florida so hard, I want them to buckle under my you know uh, you know I, I want them just to to buckle. Um, he could say, you know what. Um, get rid of DeSantis or I'll shut down right. um, I'll shut down Amazon in Florida and you won't get deliveries and you know you're fucked because mom and pop stores are gone because Amazon has put them all out of business you know and then um, and then of course everyone is depending on 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 the deliveries for other things then everyone is depending on the jobs I mean so many people are depending on the Amazon delivery jobs yeah so, one of the big um, one of the big uh, you know our, our friend Molly Hemingway, <laughs> wrote her new book rigged and one of the big things that she reveals is you know the, the facebook's campaign to try to essentially throw as much of the election to biden as possible that zuckerberg was spending hundreds of millions of dollars so there's that political campaign but now you're kind of referencing that they can kind of economically terrorize us too if they really want us to you know these these mega corporations of the left yeah, I mean they haven't they haven't at all approached what they are capable of, and I just hope that you know I hope that we wake up and that we start to get ready and prepare things and 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 um, you know I mean look everybody and this is what I told Glenn Beck when I was on his show everybody has a stake in this and everyone has a role to play or just about everyone. You know, if you've got a business of any size, large, small, mega corporation, whatever it is, figure out how you can modestly orient it, modestly or, you know, or fully orient it towards, um, you know, towards helping our people. You know, like you want to, you, you've gave, you've got a sneaker company, sell expressly to folks on the right, do it the same way that, that, Nike does it to folks on the left. I mean, when they have yeah. Colin Kaepernick in their ads, what they're saying to Red America is, fuck you. We don't and want you your buy your shoes anyway. You and will you'll buy, buy them anyway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's such a good point because there is such a huge, there, there's just as big a market um, for people on the right as there is for the left. Maybe even a bigger market for people on the right. So, you know, the, you're right. You need to change the incentive structure. It's just so important that they need to stop caving. Um, and I, I think that hopefully that cultural movement will bloom. Um, any last thoughts? No. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. We'll leave it at that.
Thanks, Thanks for, for having me. This is David great. Boy, Labor Public Nonsense at D-A-V-E-R-E-A-B-O-I on Twitter. Thanks, Dave. Thank you.